Hey, Jay. I'm Daniel. I'm from Indiana here in the States. I'm an old gamer and role-playing game designer as well, and I'm really enjoying your podcast. My question for you today is, what does OSR gaming really refer to? If you say the real life ends up your days And you don't have time to play Well, midlife is the best time to start a new role-playing phase And you need a rescue Chase coming at you with a rescue A role-play rescue Chase gonna help my friend Let's sit down to game My name is Che Webster, and this is Roleplay Rescue. Hello, rescuers. I hope you're well, and thank you for listening. There really are so many podcasts out there that, in honesty, I find your listening to this show humbling. Thank you for joining us today. Season 6 is running along nicely, although, strangely, it seems to contain far more interviews and discussions than I initially anticipated I guess the one good thing for me in the whole pandemic has been the opportunity to talk to lots of great folk about gaming. I've got the promised interview with Joe Richter coming up and two more possible interviews being scheduled as I record this. That said, it's half-term holiday and I want to take the opportunity to prep some more episodes in the little sequence I began on beginning to play. Plus, I'd like to dive into that episode plan I wrote at the start in earnest. This episode is a bonus call-in show focused around the competition I ran in response to the call from Daniel that we heard at the top of the show. I've had a nice bundle of answers from the Anchorite podcasting community and we've even managed to get Daniel to listen to them and judge the winner. On top of that, I wanted to drop in one or two messages I've received in recent weeks, although there are far more to share than I have time for today. Anyway, enough of my wittering, let's dive in. Answering the OSR question. For those who either missed the two call-in episodes this past month during which I talked about the competition, or just for new listeners, here's the deal. I have a bonus copy of the extended zine by Drew Mega, What's Happened at Wyvern Rock. This is a 5e-based but largely generic supplement all about bringing high strangeness to high fantasy. If you've ever wanted to mix it up with the greys or have your players experience very strange events based on classic UFO sightings, this is the supplement for you. The competition was as follows. I played the call-in. The person who came back with the most helpful one-minute call-in reply, as judged by Daniel, the caller, will receive the supplement. I'll get back in touch to sort out shipping it out to them. So, winner, at the end of the show, please remember to get in touch so I can ship this out to you. Here's the shape of today's bonus episode. I will replay the call-in from Daniel, and then I'm going to play the messages I received in order of receipt. And then... I will play Daniel's response, and in there is his decision as the judge. Are you ready? Here goes. Rescue! Hey, Jay. I'm Daniel. I'm from Indiana here in the States. I'm an old gamer and role-playing game designer as well, and I'm really enjoying your podcast. My question for you today is, what does OSR gaming really refer to? 
I've only learned the term over the past two years from Twitter, and I'm only getting a thin sketch of what they mean. Superficially, it seems to be pointing to role-playing games made before 2000 and seems heavily old D&D or advanced D&D first or second edition, but surely there's much more to it than that. Is it because it's a more serious scenario? Is it more lethal? Or is it a reaction against the new wave of performance and drama role-playing games, especially that we see on streams? Also, in some corners of Twitter, there seems to be an ugly drama with regards to the OSR, but I'm really in the dark about that as well. So uh, that's my question. Enjoy your cast and enjoy hearing your answer to this. Thank you. H.A. Jason here. Enjoyed your latest episode where you kind of clarified the idea that you're not classifying yourself as a simulationist or a narrative, narrativist. Just, you know, and, and thank you for redefining how Ron Edwards used those terms. It, it's really easy to get, get in that. And, and Colin has a great point, but you, but you acknowledge that, you know, we need to be careful not to get ourselves put into camps and not to put labels on ourselves. So I, I really don't think there's anything I can add to that conversation. I already have the supplement you're giving away, so I'm going to hold back and not give an answer to the OSR question. Um, well, I'll give you a quick answer to it, but I, it shouldn't be included in the contest. To me, OSR has been overused, and it, it's outlived its usefulness because it's been grabbed by marketing people. But really, it, they're, it's clones and simulations of, of the old D&D games as effective what OSR is historically. Um, and I kind of take that from... Where like Chicago was, you know, Michael Shorten comes from, and since he was there, you know, about the beginning of the OSR, so he has a little bit of insight in that. So that's kind of where I'm taking my definition these days from. But I don't know. I ultimately I think those labels are, like I mentioned a little bit ago, are, are defeating because you know any game can be different. Games can just because a game is written a certain way doesn't mean you can't play it a different way. You know, as Ron Edwards would definitely tell you. So I I think by late by creating these labels, specific labels like OSR, I think we're actually defeating ourselves and I'm causing separation. So anyhow, I'll let you go. Enjoy the podcast. Looking forward to the next episode. Hey Shay, it's Rob. Tricky this OSR explanation in one minute, I tell you. Hey, talk to you later. OSR refers to three different things. Uh type of rules the style of play and a creative community as far as the rules are concerned generally speaking it's pre-90s D&D but has grown to include other games from and beyond that era style of play a little more difficult to describe um, the rules that facilitate this are usually quite novel not generally based on anything um, and the self-proclaimed as OSR uh, it includes quick character creation, high lethality, sandbox play, random elements, emergent narrative. Now, the community is um, DIY, gonzo, innovative, limitless possibilities. Anything goes. There's no gatekeepers. And that is why it's so confusing. I hope that clears some things up. Not merely an old school revival 
but a renaissance focused on D&D from the 1970s and 80s. Features include rulings over rules, player choice-driven play over PC skills and abilities, and increased immersion through verbal interaction of players with referee as they explore the virtual environment. This dialogue-intensive dynamic tends towards an open-world format and strict plots or railroading are discouraged. In addition to downplaying skills and abilities, OSR games tend to avoid in-depth backgrounds in preference of emergent narrative. So the OSR can be seen as a reaction to the increasing complexity of rules in later editions of D&D, and particularly the decrease in player agency resulting from the dominance of character abilities. I hope that provides at least one interpretation of the OSR. Hey Che, it's Vance, putting in my two cents on the OSR Identity Contest. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is uh, to trust the DM. Uh, when uh, Gary and Dave and everybody put together their first rule sets, they openly admitted that, hey, these are some rules and guidelines for playing in this milieu, and we acknowledge that we can't cover every situation, but we trust that you guys will figure it out yourself. And uh, that was a pretty big deal, and I think something that really informs, um, you know, both role-playing in general and, you know, specifically kind of the older style where, you know, let's uh, just figure it out as we go along. It might not be perfect, but, yeah, we'll get something hammered out. So um, that's uh, what I would think of. So hope that works. Help. Take care. Bye. Hey, Jay, John here, and in response to the question, what does OSR gaming really refer to? In my opinion, it refers to a specific style of gaming that was common but not limited to earlier games like D&D. The style emphasizes player cunning and ability to overcome problems and sometimes puzzles within games, rather than the use of a simple skill roll or something like this. Part of this occurred because the rule system in the older games tended to be more simple and did not cover all the eventualities that occurred in RPGs, but it's since become enshrined as a specific style of play. One example might be an elaborate mechanical trap. You'd be expected to describe how you disarm it rather than simply making a roll. OSR games also tend to focus on characters beginning as low-powered and slowly advancing to higher levels of ability, with the emphasis being placed less on pre-created, overarching plot lines or expansive dramatic storylines. That's not to say these can't occur, but in a good number of OSR games, the drama and action occurs naturally as a result of what the players do in-game and how the dice roll. I visit Daniel. Thanks to everyone who called in and gave a summary of the OSR. For a couple of months, I asked many people about defining the OSR, and I got a wide range of answers. I guess it's no surprise to say that the more people there are, the less we can agree on categories like these. In fact, what few terms we could agree on 20 years ago in the role-playing community are now lost in the static of places like Twitter. So my take is that any role-playing term like OSR is only useful if you're talking with a group who happen to be on the same page about it. And it's a good shorthand for what we mean if we're talking about it within those circles. So what I can land on is what Minion uh, summarized very well. 
when I consider the picture that he and others have drawn, it contrasts nicely with other prominent styles of the past few years. So I'd say that I myself lean towards a lot of the OSR principles. Uh, I don't like the video game-ish or what I call performance role-playing styles at all. But I also left D&D a long time ago, and I wouldn't want to return to it either. So I'm not sure where exactly that places me. Anyway, so I think that the best summary that you got was from Menion. Uh, thanks to him and to all the others and to you for setting this up. And I'll be talking to you soon. Take care. So there you have it. Menion is the winner. Thank you to all of the callers, to Jason for not playing, and then thank you to Spencer, Vance, John, and Menion, aka Rob. Don't forget to get in touch, Menion, and let me know your mailing address. I'm pretty sure it's somewhere in Japan. Awesome. Right, I hope that was fun and useful. It was, at least for me, a great way to avoid answering the OSR question for a little while longer. And now... I've had a nice bunch of call-ins in response, really, to Jason Hobbs and I playing too seriously, which I'd really just like to play, share them, really. So have a listen and see if you can help out these callers with their questions. And then at the end, I have a lovely first-time call-in that refers back to Season 5. Let's see what folk had to say. H.A. Jason here. Great episode with Jason Hobbs. Really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah. I, I think it was a really good discussion, and, and I think that um, there's a lot to learn there. So thank you for putting that out there. And don't worry about the longer length. I think it was well worth it, and it's okay to have a longer episode here and there. Hey, Shay. Andy Goodman here. Um, man, you're asking a lot of us. What, an hour and 20 minutes? You expect to get an hour and 20 minutes of my time on a Saturday morning when there's so much to do? Well, there's not a lot to do, but anyway, you get the point. No, I'm joking, man. Um, uh, yeah, when you see that, you know, th- that length of interview, you do think, okay, I-, I need to gird myself for this, prepare myself for this. But I am loving your interview with Jason. It's awesome. I think the two of you need to do a, a-, a show together just to- just every, you know, once a month or whatever. I love your different points of view. Um the stuff you're talking about is very inspiring and generates ideas and, and making my head full of ideas. So I listen to it. Um, and yeah, just, just awesome. Um, I'd love to catch up with you sometime. I feel like we've got so many things to talk about now, but um, maybe, maybe that'll have to wait, wait for a bit. Anyway. Yeah. Just, um, you know, you're one of the few podcasts that I managed have managed to keep up to date with. So Hat tip. <laughs> no, I always always play your stuff as soon as it comes up on the feed. Uh, you know that. And um, anyway, yeah, I've uh, I, I've really got to start season two at some point. I, I I'm just putting it off forever now, and I don't know when I'm going to go back. Um, it's an interesting one. Anyway, I better get back to cooking the curry. I started at nine thirty this morning. I'm cooking a big lamb curry. It's literally the only way to get decent Indian food in America is to cook it yourself. I've said it. It's out there. 
you could, all my American friends can send me hate mail, but they do not understand Indian food in this country, which is bizarre because there's a lot of Indian people living here. I just don't get it. I think it's length of cultural integration. That's the issue. That's the issue, man. Bye. And I just realized I didn't really make any comment on what you were talking about, which is a bit lame, really. So um, this idea of taking your game seriously, I think that is a wonderful topic, a very rich topic that could be dug into over many episodes and, and talked about in many different ways. And I'm absolutely with you. I, I take my games deadly seriously, but I always play them for laughs. And what, what that means is there has to be humor to balance out the horror or the grimness or the, or the intensity or the emotion. Um, but I want, I want to take my world seriously. I want to believe in them and I want my players to believe in them and I want them to believe in their characters as well, which is why when players do things that are out of character or, or um, just kind of weird, and I've got to be very careful with how I say this because obviously it's their character. They can play them how they want. But over time, that character attains a reality, a concreteness. They start becoming realer and more fleshed out. So when they suddenly go completely in a different direction just because they're feeling pissed off that day or they're in a bad mood or they're drunk or they just want to blow things up as has happened to me. That really gets to me. Um, and I feel that we have a responsibility together as a group, as a gaming group to maintain that reality. However, that, however we do that through setting, through description, through characters, through action, um, and through emotion. And, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Lots more to talk about, but, I'll let you get on with your day. Hey, Shay. Uh, so I'm calling about Jorn Hobbs' interview and when you're talking about role-playing games as a form of art. And I've been thinking about it for a few days. And yeah, I still don't know. I'd say it's art in the sense that anything can be considered art, pretty much. But I also think that the popularity of streaming and actual plays has also change the conversation on this because this is a question I don't know the answer to, but is something art if it's not meant for anybody else to experience at all? Like traditionally role-playing games were just a group of friends that would get together and play their game. And that was the end of it. Nobody else would know about it. I mean, you could tell other people your story, but that wasn't the same as playing. And since those sessions were just meant for, that those specific people at the group like are those sessions considered art because they weren't meant for mass consumption or public viewing the way a lot of games are run today because of the like I said the whole streaming and podcasting and actual play thing has changed this conversation because now now a lot of role-playing games and people's groups are made for entertainment for other people not just the people at the table. And yeah, that's that's where the whole my whole confusion is. Like if you create something with the intention of never letting anyone else witness it, like write a book or paint something and never let anyone else experience it, is that art? And yeah, I mean, I guess it is because anything is art, but I don't necessarily think that calling something 
art makes it any better or more significant or gives it any more value. And not that, not that you or Hobbes was saying that, but I just, I don't think it does. And yeah, so that, that's, that's obviously, I don't have a firm opinion on this. I'm kind of all over the map, but those are just some of my thoughts. I'll stop rambling in your ear. Peace out. Uh, Webster, you finally managed that you persuaded me to call into your podcast been avoiding it for a while but uh, you know this is time you want me to call in and share a thought so here I am I was listening to your early season 5 episode Infinite Games and I was reminded of a couple of things the first was in the 80s I played three games to death Advanced Dungeons and Dragons Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and Golden Heroes others were often in the mix for a few sessions because we were learning them together but those were the main three Sadly, not even Pendragon and Star Trek managed to get much of a look in. So yeah, mastery of a system. I think that's very important. You need to go in-depth with the system, become familiar with it, see it as something more than just a pit stop. Which, of course, is what I'm also thinking about when it comes to what is an infinite game, the long haul. We've always regarded, well, personally, I've always regarded scenarios as a bit like uh, carnival stalls. They're interesting pit stops in the ongoing experience of the whole game. But when one is finished, in terms of scenarios, we had already decided on whether or not we were switching DM or the system. Usually it was just the DM. I had two groups I was involved in. One was the consistent one, the one where we played just about everything to do with Warhammer Fantasy. Even the majority of the Enemy Within campaign was almost finished. Almost, but not quite, unfortunately. And the other was in my hometown, where we often switched around. Paranoia, Dread, Torg, uh, just about anything that came along that took our fancy. We always had a good giggle with Paranoia, loved playing that little one, uh, little lost warbot, if you still have that access to that scenario, that's hilarious. But they were very different experiences. But the one which actually treated the game as infinite and ongoing, that was the most satisfying. I miss those sorts of games where you pick up a system and you actually don't know when you're going to finish it, and it just keeps going, with the scenarios developing and the characters growing. Maybe you get too attached, I don't know, but it's a lot of fun. So anyway, that's my thought. Great stuff, mate. Keep it up. Looking forward to hearing the rest of the season in five and catching up with season six. Catch you later. And that's it. Thank you, Daniel, for the call-in that inspired this episode. Thank you again to all the callers who replied, and congratulations to Menyon, who gets Drew's excellent zine, What Happened at Wyvern Rock. I hope we managed to shed some light on what the OSR label means in 2020. Thank you to all my bonus callers today, to Jason, Andy, Joe and Derek. Thank you. Great comments and feedback on the interview with Hobbs. Great question from Joe, and I'd love to hear any thoughts from listeners on that one. Plus, a lovely first-time call from my oldest and dearest friend, Rev Derek. Thank you, one and all. On that note, I'm out of here. This episode is already long enough, and even though I can see a whole stack of further call-ins do await, I'm going to get a hell out of Dodge. Thank you to the Roleplay Rescue community patrons at patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Your patronage keeps me rolling those funny-looking dice. Thanks once again. And thank you to you, the listener, for taking a little time out of your day to listen in. My name is Che Webster. This 
is Roleplay Rescue. See you again next time. Game on.